Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Gemma Sampson. I'm an advanced sports dietitian specializing in performance nutrition for cyclists. And I'm on a mission to change the culture of fueling for performance and fueling in cycling. I'm really excited today to be talking again with Dr. Nikki Kay all about the topic of low energy availability in endurance athletes. One of the things that I observed in my research, and it didn't come up as significant because that wasn't what we were searching for, but I noticed this sort of trend where is in from like racing nutrition, it was like three to five years of people making mistakes and underfueling before they kind of figured out something yep. that sort of maybe worked for them, but it was like all those wasted, potentially wasted years yeah, yeah, yeah. of Trial and underfueling error. that if you can leapfrog some of that and have avoided some of the major <laughs> disasters in races um like some of the stories are amazing and that's the the things that people love hearing is is those stories of what has worked and what hasn't worked yeah yeah and, and I was redemption speaking, almost yes <laughs> yeah and I was speaking the other day to uh, a rider who as a as a young woman had any eating disorders and has transitioned out of that into feeling for performance and is so also so passionate about um, sharing that message and encouraging more, especially for her, like focusing on young women to getting, encouraging them that actually it's important to eat more. And yes, you, you do want to feel your bodies and look after your health and it does actually matter. And just focusing on the skinniness and body composition and your appearance is not mm -hmm. the way to go. If you want to be a strong, um, robust, healthy athlete. And also a sustainable athlete. Because lots 100%. of the, the athletes and dancers also were put in the same category. Um, mm they come and say hey i'm i'm they kind of they do know something isn't right yet they 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 maybe convince themselves or they truly believe that they're fine and i i was one of them uh, you know many years ago it's like yeah like, look i'm doing well i'm fine i can't believe that i haven't quite got the balance of the nutrition and, and the training uh, you know you convince yourself um and it seems on the exterior that you're fine you're you're doing pretty well but it, it's like you say, it's that even if you don't get the stress fracture or you don't get a major thing, mm. it's just quite sad that you're setting yourself short. You're not reaching yeah. your full potential, which is hence also why I put potential in the title of the book, because we've yeah. each got our own individual potential goals. For some, yeah. it might be getting that gold medal at the Olympics. Definitely not me, by the way. But or it <laughs> might be, you know, mine is just I want to do the best ballet class I can every time I turn up at the class. Whatever yeah. it is uh, that you really want to do, passionate, we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm afraid there isn't a shortcut. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. We want instant results. We want to... who doesn't <laughs> listen. Yeah, where who, much instant, uh, who doesn't? It's like tomorrow I win the gold medal, done, finished up. Uh, but <laughs> actually, you know, it is a process of, of getting there. And you're right, sometimes you, that does include mistakes. But yeah. if you could at least minimize, at least you start yeah. off on the right track, you're going in the right direction. And then yeah. it becomes just modification rather than having gone off a totally different fork, way yeah. off track. Now you've got to spend time and effort getting back vaguely onto the right path and then start you know fine tuning it so if you could start off on the right in the right direction at the very outset Definitely. then you will reach your full potential number one sooner actually in the long run uh, but yeah. also you know for sadly for some people going off track off piste mm. you know you never get back <laughs> or, yeah. or you get back at a much lower point than you started 
you know yeah um, or it, take, it takes you so much longer like when you are in that state of low energy availability it does take you like three four times longer to recover and you're taking more time off and um sicker for longer and recovery is taking so much longer than so it you're missing longer. that that uh, opportunity that would be there would be there yeah to improve and, it's, and, it's and, get, and reach your potential up. Because one of the things I've been talking a lot about with my athletes recently is it's performance, not just on the bike, but it's performance at work and at home and performance for life as well. And how if we are under fueling uh, a training, a lifestyle, but it affects our cognition, it's affecting our mood and how we show up in everyday life. Like we might be just more grumpy and more moody and more. Um, just well, we're not enjoying not- life. So when we say reach full potential, most people. I do mention performance sort of uh, as a subtitle, but mm. if I if I just said performance, then people would immediately think athletic performance. But potential yeah. encompasses everything. Yeah. Because listen, it's, uh, ballet yeah. is my passion, right? Yeah. And that is the most one of the most important things in my life. But yeah. I still do have other things in my life. I've got my job uh, and my work and my mm. research. I've got my family. You know, I've got my children, you know, actually everyone, even even if you would say, even if I was to say Bali is my priority, yeah. I've still got quite a lot of other stuff that is also important. And so mm-hmm. I think that's also, you know, maybe be that blinkered approach. It's like, I don't care about everything else. I just want to perform. But actually, yeah. is that really true? Is that really? If you think about mm-hmm. it, it's like, hmm. The most important thing in life are your connections, your relationships. And if yeah. actually being too single-minded um, is going to break, you know, disrupt those the connections, the work connections, uh, your family, your, your social connections, actually, that's going to be a pretty sad process. <laughs> it's going to be pretty yeah. sad. So you're absolutely right. Um, you know, fueling for potential or fueling for mm-hmm. overall performance in yeah. everything because you know um even elite athletes who professional athletes who haven't got a, a when I say a job I mean <laughs> you know what I mean it's like that yeah. is their job I know but they're, they're not, not being paid for it as well not as going they to, ideally should be <laughs> yeah quite or then they haven't got um you know uh, whatever it is they they still everybody everybody has family everybody has friends right yeah. And those are the important people in your life. So if you mm. cut yourself off from those, because you are so single-minded, I mean, listen, you do need to be, of course, I'm not suggesting that everyone, you know, takes it easy and doesn't bother with goals and potential. Of course, mm. it's really important to have, and it's laudable to be, right, I really want to do a bad, good ballet class. I want, don't want to do a bad, you know, absolutely. Mm. We should, whatever it is you want to achieve, of course, you should really try your hardest to achieve it. But the point is that if you're so blinkered that that is the only thing, mm. um, you know, that in, that's not going to actually be healthy. It's not going to um, lead you to achieving that performance because um, I'm sure you found also um, in your research, Emma, that um, when I was writing my book and as I've done some other research, um, I have to be honest, and I was a bit of an old-fashioned doctor. <laughs> it's like, I need the test, I need the evidence, yeah. I need the proof. All this psychology stuff is like a bit fluffy. Yeah. But actually, I stand corrected. Mm. Um, the more and more 
I, I read and write and research myself, and I, I think you'll probably agree with this, the more we have to, we realize, of course, we can't dissociate how our brain processes things with what our body does, because our brain yeah. processes these inputs and makes an interpretation of them, the yeah, external even, and even the internal. Like there was, I mean, a paper popped up the other day. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. And I was like, oh, that's, in, that's an interesting one. I've got to flag that one just about how um, our beliefs about um, like sugar containing drinks or sugar-free drinks, how our belief system and perception about that will influence how our body responds to that sugar or sugar-free drink. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's so trippy. It's well, just, I'm, like, I've I'm, got another why, one. Like, nutritionist nutritionist, yeah, nutritionist is so that. fascinating. Exactly. It's what you... Think about it, your interpretation of it. By the way, this is why placebo works. Mm. Okay. Because it, yeah. even if you give someone water and you tell them it has got sugar in, for example, or, or whatever, they, you know, that's why placebo works. It's mind over matter. Yeah. But I've got another yeah. example of what you're saying about how you think um, the drive to thinness. You've probably mm. seen that paper by um, D'Souza's re um, research group. And if you're an athlete and you are really concerned, you know, that that you get really anxious. I need to be lighter. Mm -hmm. I need to be slimmer. I need to look this way, blah, blah, blah. Drive for thinness. I've got to yeah. be thinner to, yeah. to, to win or whatever. Just thinking that affects your hormones. I repeat, how you think affects your hormones. So in this paper, they show that that, um suppressed lowered t3 which is one of the hormones really the thyroid hormone is really important for metabolic rate so even just getting anxious about this uh this uh cognitive restraint uh <laughs> one phd student in slovenia interestingly i supervised that was doing a study um restricting energy for things uh, <laughs> in male cyclists mm. um and uh anyway part of oh yeah i think that's was that the know, that one, step one? Yeah, the three-step one, exactly. Yeah. So just the initial thing, cognitive restraint, she called it. So yeah. them just thinking, I should, even if they ate the same as the other people, if you kind of feel a bit guilty or you're it's like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, that mm -hmm. again, so it's what we're talking about. So this psychology yeah. element is massively um, underestimated. And also in our dancer study uh, with mm -hmm. dancers from the questionnaire, we found that these... Um, thought processes, thoughts, uh, these mm. um, interpretations, I like to, these yeah. psychological interpretations of, you know, uh, anxiety about shape and weight, et cetera. Uh, mm. It reflected in physical, they were a lower BMI. Um, it also um, reflected in terms of um, uh, menstrual function, mm. i.e. hormones. They yeah. were more likely to have a regular cycle. So physiological. So um, it's so I fascinating because I have you flipped can't, backwards. Yeah, <laughs> you, I think this is the thing. It's it's so easy to just be like, okay, we just everything goes in its little box, and it's so interlinked. You can't you can't really separate them because the yeah, the longer that I've worked as a dietitian, the more I've realized how important psychology is to influence decisions. And you're right, exactly where I found the same thing in my research that a big in my again this is my interpretation of the evidence that I was the data mm. set that I was I was I had and was that 
fears and around food a lot of mm. fears and beliefs about food being negative relationships mm. to like carbohydrates being labeled as bad or yeah, yeah. there it's unhealthy um these food fears and myths and beliefs would limit and influence people to avoid foods and limit foods that would improve their performance and their health in training yeah, and in it's, it's sad and, isn't it it's just so it cool. is yeah, yeah. And, and of course and it's the, definitely it, the conversations i'm having like one-on-one with people all of the time so the vicious circle thing because of course if you are this cognitive restraint this anxiety uh, restriction of food orthorexia avoiding carbohydrates because they're bad and evil anyway (laughs) you know uh, just those thoughts like we said will affect um, your health and your hormones Mm -hmm. but by the way then when you become you know unhealthy in the sense that your hormones are um, out of out of step, out of equilibrium, um, then guess what? Now you're even less able to make really good decisions because yeah. your brain is is very greedy, isn't it? It needs 20%, I believe, of your energy intake. So, you know, you're literally starving your brain. And so your brain, so actually there's this vicious circle. It starts off with an anxiety uh, miscue interpretation um, and that affects um, your body, your, your health. And then that means that you're even less able to make those really um, good decisions and, and yeah. turn around and say, you know what, actually, uh, that's what am I doing? <laughs> What's going on? Um, you, yeah. you can't make those decisions. And actually also uh, in studies, I think you probably know that one by Alan Mellon. I love her research. Anyway, <laughs> she found that those athletes, female athletes who were amenorrheic because of low energy availability, they had the slower reaction time and mm-hmm. peak power production. So, yeah. you know, we have evidence uh, that the neurological system, um, yeah, it is a little bit in disarray as well. So it's yeah. one of those fascinating body you know, mind. Like it, it's, it's a snowball effect that it just kind of exacerbates yeah. it. And, and often I'm talking with people and they they have this fear around food and, and, and craving food and particularly yep. like craving sugars and yep. feeling like they can't control about and and my my experience is often the result of the underfield training and recovery food and what's what's happened earlier in the day that's affecting later in the day and oh, yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're if you're hungry then physiologically your brain is and your body is like I don't care what's going on just give me the sugar give me like wow, something exactly. quick and easy and you can have it's the best power it's not it is it's not about that you're good or bad like it's or being disciplined or anything it's more just like your body's like i need food now give it to me now give it to me now well it's the opposite you're being because you haven't you know as you say been you've been under fueling during the day the classic (laughs) you know uh, so you get this uh, energy deficit during the day your Mm. body is your body wants to keep you healthy and alive that is its priority survival Mm. survival so yeah. it's telling you go and forage food, get food. I don't care what the hell it is. Actually, mm. you know what? A simple carbohydrate would be brilliant. The body's saying because I can digest I hit, that quickly. Hit, so that's why quick. you want sugar. That's why you want that thing. So it's yeah. not a weak. So actually, what it is, it's not weak willpower that you mm. you ignore these hunger cues. Actually, to be honest, it's not very very well advised. Your body is giving you a massive it's a, it's red a alert. Response. It's giving you an yeah. SOS. So, you know, actually um, trying to deny it, it's not strong-willed. If uh, I might suggest that it's, well, it's ill-informed, it's not going to end well. But to avoid that, but I do understand, it is mm. it's almost a little bit scary when you do 
really feel you need to eat something. By yeah. the way, in women who have a, are having menstrual cycles in the luteal phase, you can often get these hunger urges because you've got increased metabolic rate with high progesterone. Mm. Similar, yeah. sim, sim, similar thing. Similar thing. You have <laughs> these hunger urges, but that, yeah. but so they're not. It's just the body trying to give you a message. That's all. But the key thing is what you said just there. Avoid it. So you don't feel in that really scary state. We know what it is when you're just feeling a little bit uh, tremulous. Personally, I get a massive headache and I just like, oh, I, I need some, you know, whatever that sign is. Yeah, for me, I, I get I have low blood sugar anyway, naturally. So I just get dizzy and I get shaky and I, and I go very quiet. And <laughs> very quiet. Keel over, yeah, and get and, I'm, and everyone's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I think I need food. Yeah. <laughs> but, I stopped talking. Yeah, but you see, the thing is, Listen, that can happen unintentionally that, you know, when you're working hard, like, you know, writing up your thesis or when you're a doctor, you know, you have the best intention. You're going to have lunch at one o'clock and then there's a busy clinic and then now it's three o'clock and uh, it's like things happen. So that's, you know, that's Mm. but if possible, try and plan in advance. I think that's what you're saying. Um, And, you know, fueling for the work required. Yeah. The lovely Dr. Sam MP um, on a forward looking schedule. So don't kid yourself that you're being really strong-willed to do faster training in the morning and have hardly no. eat anything. And then, surprise, surprise, you're going to be ravenous in the yeah. evening. Well, it's, it's so funny because literally I just posted a reel about this just before about like how I actually yeah, I very that. rarely recommend faster training because it's it's like, okay, let's put it in the context of the research and who was the study done and what happened. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, those participants, like all their food was provided for, there's no responsibilities, no life stress or anything going on. Mm. And they just had the rest of the day to kind of chill and do nothing. Where you take that into the real world where it's like, and they probably did have hunger and they probably were hungry in that situation, but they were like, locked up or anything but they, they were like yeah, yeah they were in a war. they were in like a hospital war they weren't really doing it <laughs> but they 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 weren't just living everyday life and right. so it's if you're crazy if you're crazy hungry you've got like uncontrollable mm. hunger levels and I like I often use that hunger scale of like zero to ten and often I see if you're kind of like on a zero where you're so hungry you'll chew you'll eat anything yeah, you end yeah. up at a 10 where you kind of like you're so full you, you're sort of sick and so you take that faster training session that works in a lab very controlled environment or where all your food is provided there's no stress you don't have to think so again in a professional athlete setting it can work mm-hmm. if the context is right but you take that into the real world where people are working full-time and they've got um they're doing this faster training and then it's like oh they've 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 run to work uh, they've yeah. gone to work they've again missed a recovery sort of phase and then before they know it it's like midday they haven't really eaten anything and their body just starts like playing catching down and yeah 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 and and it's just like sort of yo-yoing energy and just feeling like they're that this binging or I can't control myself around sugar and it's like well like yes in on paper you're getting everything you need but it's all coming in at the wrong time whereas if you shift all that back to the beginning of the day it just calms that whole thing down and you're actually able to create those deficits that you can stick with for the rest yep. of the day rather yep. than it being like oh let's just cut out a meal and and pay for it with like crazy hunger levels and mood swings and the rest of the day well again that I mean I can't put it any better than you but just is to um, go back to our lovely Anna Mellon in Denmark um, and there's the study that she did with uh, within day deficits as she called it so Mm -hmm. even if you um, potted up the amount of calories by the way I don't 
I personally don't recommend that, but say in the study, in the research setting, she totted up the number of calories that these people um, ate, um, you mm. know, not eating much during the day and then having a massive meal in the evening mm. um, compared to those that sp did spread it out. OK, so yeah. it was sort of a constant level, no big dips. And although on paper they were having the same amount of calories, um, by the way, she controlled it, so they were doing. They were yeah, have, yeah. did have the same energy output. But anyway, um, uh, those ones that had this big gap, big energy deficit, and then had to overshoot almost um, yeah. in the evening, those ones had higher cortisol, stress mm. response hormone, and lower estrogen in the women and lower testosterone in the men. So again, um, clear evidence. So if people are questioning this and saying, ah, oh, but mm. I read that passive training is good. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it comes depends. down to the context. Yeah, it, like it, I see, it, exactly. I find for I find for the general population that a sedentary faster training can be helpful yeah, and exactly. can work in that environment. But what you take into endurance sport, and I mean, there was a paper that came out the other day in swimming about, and it was sort of put getting the evidence for why people are so hungry after swimming. Yeah, and and I think there was another one about the benefits of having a bigger breakfast, even like say, when the, it's controlled. And again, these are all things that we see in practices that like, yeah, maybe like on, if you're looking only at numbers, it doesn't matter, but you look at how the body's using that food yeah. and fuel and how it calms down all those hormonal responses and how you, it, it makes it more sustainable for you. And I think for me, from my, my perspective, it need like the way we eat, it needs to be sustainable to, for it to last rather mm. than it being obviously there's there might be periods of time where okay there's a I'm gonna knuckle down I've got all the things in I can mm -hmm. I can drop the other priorities I don't I've already got this one priority to focus on put more energy and my attention my nutrition now but that isn't sustainable long term yeah and also you don't get those you you, you won't get the beneficial adaptations mm. uh, because yeah. if you've got low um, glycogen stores you haven't got that top end for the you know 100%. talking about swimming uh, yeah. I used to do that early morning swimming I think particularly in swimming it is yeah. I have to say it is a nightmare uh, I'm sure you know in Australia you're, you're great swimmers yeah. over there but you know the training for swimming and also rowing and some other sports is typically in the morning so when yeah. I was at school every morning I had to be on the poolside at 6 a.m sharp so that mm. meant I had to get up at 5 or 5 15 and um although I didn't feel like it I would have a small bowl of cereal of course it depends yeah. Cereal was my sometimes liquid something because yeah. even as a youngster, I knew I would crash and burn in that swimming session if mm. I didn't have some, something, you know. Um, yeah. And of course, afterwards, it's, so it's the before that's important. I'm sure you'll yeah. agree. Um, yeah. You know, some sort of carbohydrate. Well, whatever they, all, they all matter for different reasons. Yeah. So. And so that is before you, because otherwise you won't get the most out of your training. Um, and then afterwards, refueling in that magic, I say 20 minutes. I don't know if we could push it to 30, maybe. But, you know, with the carbohydrate and protein, exactly when I got out of the pool and when my sons also did early morning swimming, I was doing this early morning training. And I said to my mother, oh, my God, I don't know why you did that for all those years. I'm not going to do that for my children. Anyway, lo and behold. But <laughs> then the routine would be, um that um well actually I ended up going back to doing the early swimming with them but anyway I would make sure that before um I took them to school we sat in the car or, or you know just having a moment at the pool after they got changed to have the flavored milk and the banana uh, my my youngest son got through many many loaves of uh, <laughs> fruit malt uh, loaf you know that's that's really good because you yeah. need that to be prepared now to cover what's you know just to tide off 
what you've used. And now he was ready to get on with his school day yeah. or your work or whatever it is. And so you're ready for lunch because otherwise you're going to play catch up, like you say, all the time. But and also, often it doesn't, I found it just doesn't, it often doesn't hit people till like six, seven, oh, eight, later nine on, hours, you won't realize. Yeah. And so many times, and this is why I love getting people just to not, not it's not even tracking, but just recording thoughts and feelings and mood and hunger levels and, and comparing that to like, when's that consistently happening and look at where your energy and your food intake is coming from and so often like if people are for example tracking it for a period of time I'll see like okay breakfast 300 calories this tiny little breakfast 300 calories at lunch like there's no this there's it's only it's only salad for example there's no bread there's no potato pasta and then come like four (laughs) o'clock it's like chocolate biscuits yeah yeah um and then lollies chocolate and before you know they've eaten like 50 to 80 percent of their energy in snacks and these little things that don't really fill you up and satisfy you the rest of the day and it's like okay well you should shift some of that into the earlier the day but like more substantial food that's more filling that you enjoy to eat and it just calms everything down the rest of the day because if you take those some you know those chocolate biscuits going to give you a massive insulin spike so Mm. again you'll feel good for a moment but then because your body has seen oh, it's seen some food uh, it's seen yeah. some glucose it's like the insulin spikes up you've got high insulin yeah. sensitivity that's grabbed out of the system and actually you know how it is you get the crash afterwards so you feel good for a yeah. minute and then it's like oh now i feel really bad again so then you have another chocolate yeah. biscuit it's just this yo-yo thing that is and what's and the other thing i find so fascinating as well is that you can take that same food and you put it in a different context and our body will use it completely differently so yeah. you take that chocolate biscuit you eat it in a training session or yeah, yeah. like around a training session and you don't see that spike exactly. because your body exactly. is using it up as energy and so that's one of the things i say to people like if you take that food if and push it into your training if some way or shape and like whether it's banana bread or cookies or biscuits like use it as fuel in training that you enjoy that you yeah. like it and like get rid of the guilt or that you've got to earn it. It's not about earning it or anything like that. It's just like your body is needs energy and Need that's it. the best time to be providing extra energy and like, yeah, yeah like, like reduce the, the intake of those extra, cause they're extra foods. Um, but if you're having extra, you're training, your body needs extra energy in that mm-hmm. moment, but it, it comes down to the timing so much. Yeah. And I think the context, that's, that's the key word you use there, the context. So I've got nothing against chocolate biscuits, although they're probably a little <laughs> to eat on the bike but anyway you know actually and and for dancers in between running between a rehearsal and the class actually Mm -hmm. do you know what you can have a sweet you know you can have an energy bar you can you should um so the context that's absolutely you need it during Mm. this uh the the those this this goes back to those food fears where there's i see so much like oh that's bad that's that's good that's bad i'm trying to be good i'm trying to be clean and that's bad and it's like again it's it's never good not bad unless you're allergic to it's poisoned or like it's (laughs) it's physically like spoiled then it's it's never good nor bad it's just it comes down to the timings the frequency and the portions and so it's like okay well look at when you're having it and is there a more optimal time that you can have it and enjoy it don't enjoy it yes get the most enjoy out of it, it. Mm, yeah, right. I mean, it's like, enjoy it. psychology like the number of times yeah like and the number of times that i find people that like say they're using energy gels when they're training on a bike and they actually hate the one that they've used and so they never eat it because and they don't realize that until we've started i guess talking about it and it's 
been all around the countryside in their back pocket and but they, they actually don't like the taste of it whereas oh. okay well what do you like a chocolate biscuit I can have that yeah of course, yeah, of course. Like, it's going to provide you the same amount well, of energy is that yeah, absolutely you, you've got to have something you like but again going back to the context of when you're eating yeah. these foods but also who you are because you know um I've worked uh, in the NH in the good old NHS uh, I used to for many many years in diabetic mm -hmm. clinics type 2 diabetic clinics where people by their own admission hated exercise mm. and they were frankly overeating for their requirements yeah. and so again in their case in their cases yeah chocolate biscuit probably isn't a good idea at any time frankly yeah. right so this is the thing there are so many messages out there and we yeah. have to remember that, that sadly there is indeed an obesity epidemic mm. so we have this contrast of these sorts of people who yeah. I would be saying to donate in a chocolate biscuit. And yet we have people who are exercising, often, as you say, endurance at high level, high energy demands, when we mm. say, absolutely, if you like, yeah. if you like chocolate biscuits and you're out on that ride, yeah. eat it, please, yeah. please eat it. Right. So again, it's not only the context of when you eat it, but it's who you yeah. are. I mean, obviously yeah. we are talking. Um, to to athletes more at this point but I think also athletes should be aware that yeah. with social media messages out there um, you know not every message in fact I doubt many messages apart from the things you post of course um, <laughs> are going to be oh, oh you know are going to be actually relevant to not, there's you. very few things that are universal like I remember no, I did a, a, a talk at a conference for diabetes UK oh, mm. I was going back a few years ago and it was about the like the eat well plate and like oh yeah and uh, are they out of date and what should we use instead and and I was like okay if we say we look at people who are living to their hundreds and above there's these population groups all across the world in like Peru mm. and the, the Netherlands and not the Netherlands but in the Scandinavia yeah, yeah. Um, Japan and they've got very, very, very different diets. Yeah, and but it works. The, the patterns, and some of them have fish, some of them mm. don't. Some of them have dairy, some of them don't. Some of them have lots of oils, some of them don't. Like, But the key things that are consistent upon amongst that is like there is a lot of plants and like, as in mm. fresh fruits and vegetables, um, plenty of fiber, and there, but there's also a lot of exercise. Exercise, not even like training, but just being very active. Active, and, active, yeah. Yeah, being active individuals and socializing and stress. Oh. Like they're kind of like the 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 common themes that you see amongst yeah. those the, the blue zones. Whereas the like whether you choose to add meat or you choose to add dairy, like that's I guess up to the individual yeah. personal preference. But you can incorporate it and still have a healthy long life. But it comes down to the whole your whole lifestyle. The whole picture. But that's actually and that's one of the things in my book. I go through the seven ages of man well and woman okay. of course and athlete yeah. uh, a la Shakespeare um and uh you know the sort of final thing which Shakespeare calls dotage in other words old age uh Japan they have the longest life expectancy but it's not just by the way oh I can live to 100 it's your quality of life of course but anyway the one yeah. of the reasons why but actually Japan ticks both space boxes not only do they live quite long but they actually live um in a healthy uh, quality of life is pretty good yeah. and actually yes we can talk about that we can talk about this and that but you know what it was the social context because mm -hmm. they are very um you know they respect their elders they have these social groups um mm -hmm. you know where they meet up so uh, again it's the whole picture of the person and yeah. 
food absolutely very very like, nutrition you can't very important. separate it it's got to be you've got to look at the whole picture and it so I think I'm often like to link about it being yes it's nutrition but it's also movement and mindset and the the social element like you say you can't you can't separate what we eat to that I mean and often talk about like say it's your, your grandma's 90th birthday and there's like you're going to celebrate it and it's that that's not every day that you go and so maybe there's right. champagne maybe there's cake and like it's like take take a step back and like what's the context of this and how often do I have these foods if it's every day it's like okay then there's ways you like how, like but if it's mm. once in a blue moon once right. once a yeah, lifetime, yeah 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 enjoy it celebrate it well it goes back to the psychology and the enjoyment yeah. you know actually if, Food, yes, is nutrition at its basic level, but it's far more than that. It's also, like you say, the social aspect of eating it and your interpretation of it um, and enjoying it. Like you gave the example of people that actually they don't even like it. It's like, listen, that's not going to work. If you don't like the taste of it, <laughs> it's a non-starter. Find something yeah. that you do actually like um, yeah. and that that's for you that's going to work for you you know whatever your requirement is uh, and again but the requirement will change so going back to the seven ages of an athlete uh mm. you know um sadly i see a lot of um children being encouraged mm. to train like adults um mm. you know so of course there's the training itself isn't appropriate but also yeah. you know you can their energy systems aren't developed so you know, we have to also put it not only in the context of the individual, but we also have to put it in the context of their age. How old are they? Um, <clears throat> and because that's going to change, their hormones are going to change, of course, over their life. So again, it will need these modifications and fine tuning. So I think that's the other thing, because I mean, I have to be honest, I'm a bit, a little bit like this as well. <laughs> I am quite stuck in my ways. I like to have my routine. It's da, 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 da. But it's ridiculous to think at my very ancient age, as my children like to remind me, I'm, you know, I have to be realistic. My hormones aren't like they, they were when they when I was, you know, younger, and yeah. therefore, and what I'm doing is slightly different there as well. So of course, I've got to modify. So I think athletes shouldn't be scared or afraid. Oh, I can't do that. It's it's different. It's not on the schedule. It's like you yeah. have to have that little bit of um, flexibility. Well, I, I think. And and understanding what what things are a priority depending on what stage of life people are yeah. at or what level of their training or what, what their goals are in that sort of moment yeah because the older athlete the master's athlete i'm seeing more and more of master's mm -hmm. athletes and good why not i'm including my husband in anyway uh my my eldest son is a cycle coach and for a while he was um Training, uh, coaching my husband which was an interesting dynamic but anyway one of the things that my son was quite insistent on was that my husband should be doing strength training for example right um but also the nutrition actually to be fair is nutrition was pretty good but you know masters athletes don't realize they think oh i can train like i was when i was 20 you do have to train mm -hmm. i'm afraid you have to look more at the strength training and the nutrition the protein right the protein intake yeah. becomes more even you know even more of a priority um to keep those muscles going because yeah it's a little bit more hard work shall we say as we get older because our hormones are a little bit lower but that's that's fine that's a challenge we're up for yeah. a challenge that's normal natural physiology so mm. we just have to you know accept that adapt and modify mm. and uh, and change uh i mean what's your view on that i think that we've already you know the age i think is a very important 
Uh, well, like yeah. I mean, obviously, like with with women, like we've we've got monthly cycles, and yeah. then this, and the, the, but even it just changes with each decade. Yeah, yeah, it changes. So it's a it's it's a constantly moving target. And I mean, right. and I know it's probably a controversial statement, but I really don't think we will ever come up with some population levels. This is all females nutrition sort yeah. of guide or training guidelines because there is so much variation in experiences between women but also within the same woman and yeah. mm. so I think I, I think there is obviously things that are priorities that change but it's understanding how uniquely each woman responds um, and what are the patterns and how to what things testing and adjusting what things work for you around around mm. that and understanding what what happens to yourself um whether it's like with fluid retention or weight sort of changes and and but I mean it's funny like I mean obviously as women most women have a cycle every every four weeks or so and but it is still just funny how like it's it, it's always a surprise it's like oh it's back again everybody <laughs> like you've had it for like Whoa, years or years yeah, of weather yeah, yeah. and it's still a surprise it's like oh why is this what's going on and you're like ah oh, okay, that's why my weight has all of a sudden gone up a couple of kilos. And it's like, why do my clothes not fit? And they're like, everything, it just, and it's like, oh, and then a week later, you're like, oh, like I've shrunk again because I don't have all the extra fluid on. And so when we know those patterns that we have uniquely, mm. we can then make changes and learn to tame down our monkey mind that's stressing about this change. Yeah, yeah. Well, we go, we go back to the psychology, but um, just <laughs> pick up on that about the, the, women, the you know, um, female hormones are amazing. I love them because yeah. they are complicated. I love them. Um, yeah. you know, beautiful <laughs> choreography, um, amazing. And actually that's yeah. also one of the themes of my book. I call it the yeah. female hormone odyssey because it is a journey, okay. not yeah. only from, but from cycle to cycle, absolutely for your individual but you make a very good point there I have I what you said just there is what lots of athletes and dancers say to me it's like it sh I know it shouldn't be a surprise but it kind of is but again um you know you don't have to have fancy apps and things like that I mean old-fashioned I used to you know just make a little note to my diary across it will do but just being a body aware and so like you say you don't have to go through that oh what the hell's happening and getting yeah. to understand and love and tune in to how you change but also not being freaked out if it is slightly different from cycle to cycle yeah. and very importantly if you are different to your teammate which you will be mm. we're not all clones yeah. there was an excellent and, uh, article there's a paper of, that came out oh, yeah. a couple of while that. ago <laughs> it's probably the one you're thinking of about um perceptions and beliefs of yeah. an elite female athlete and i found that fascinating because again it comes back to the psychology of like if you believe that your cycle affects you negatively it will of course but, it will yeah. and I mean I had this conversation just coming back from the world championships the other day and with someone and well and someone was a lady was saying to me how okay yes I, I feel that it affects me but I, I also have evidence that I've got my best power numbers like I might physically feel rubbish but I can still perform and push through that if I yeah. if I'm mentally yeah, yeah if I'm mentally prepared and and I think that's the key thing where like sometimes you aren't going to have a choice. You're going to, have, if you're an athlete and you're competing, like yeah, your right. race, this is your yes. race day, you can't change that. No, you can't change the world championships race. Sorry. No, that's uh, it. That's the date. But if you believe that your, your performance is going to be bad because of that, then it will be because mm. you're preempting that. Whereas 
if you're in the mindset of like, okay, maybe I don't feel so good, but I know mentally yep. that I can push through it and you I'm tough it. and I'm strong, then yeah, it's oh, it's so fascinating that the psychology component of it, like, and again, yeah. this is why I think it's so complicated. Where it's like, will we ever have a will we ever have the true answer to this? Well, the thing is, because well, in some ways, no, because it's so personal, and the, I do get a little bit irritated just saying my book. It's again generic advice. Apparently, every woman should feel amazing just before ovulation, apparently. And yet yeah. Lizzie Dignan, one of our top um, cyclists, she um, you know, wrote her personal experience. She had read this, that, oh, you're meant to feel amazing. And, and indeed, her teammates around her were saying, oh, we feel amazing. And she, was, mm. she said that was the worst time for her. She felt she didn't yeah. feel good. And she thought there was something wrong with her. But then yeah. she came to accept it and say, well, listen, this is just me. But again, it was mm. the psychology she number one realized that was that was her that's fine that's fine that's how she experienced it but also the psychology it just meant that she wouldn't put so much pressure on herself she could still push through as it were of course but that she would just find it a bit harder for her personally but it's about the psychology accepting that you are every woman is an amazing unique individual so don't be scared to do what's right for you and although yeah. there are some theoretical things, I mean, for example, we <laughs> definitely do know that progesterone, the one thing I am certain about is that progesterone does uh, increase metabolic rate and you are more prone maybe to hunt these hunger urges unless you've been preemptive and, and whatever. But, but generally, it is but funny otherwise, though because I, tear it up. Like, otherwise tear it up, those generic advice, right? Just do what's right for you. Yeah. And I, I, the thing I find is it all, for me, it always comes back to, is this clinically relevant? And like yep. it might be, it might be statistically uh, relevant, yeah. but is it clinically relevant? Yeah, and yeah. like a gram difference, 50 calories more. I'm like, is that actually, does that justify this advice? Like, oh, you need more energy here. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that's really? a very good point. It's all very well in the lab, in the research. We're talking about statistical significance. We want the p-value. We have to have this magic number. But then you come down to clinical significance. Yeah. So and, does and it, generally does it, most people just adapt their food intake and just increase it naturally exactly. without having to so, force it no so but it's just being aware i think nevertheless being aware but there's a difference between the researchers and the p-values as you know and then what does that actually translate to in practice does it actually make give a bean and in any case are you naturally adapting anyway mate? just one more thing about women so yeah menstrual cycles are are um yeah individual but also the, you know, this female hormone odyssey and the, over the lifespan. And we have to say about the Narcissus athletes, the perimenopause, menopause. And then, then of course, we have sort of female hormones. Uh, yeah, they get a bit out of sync. That's perimenopause that's happening. And menopause is when the hormones, just like the ovaries, stop working in terms of hormones and ovulation. That's it. Boom. And because these hormones are so important for all many aspects um, of health and performance, then that can that is truly a big challenge. But what I would just wanted to say is that um, the good news is that we know that keeping active, continuing with your exercise is definitely going to help, number one, the symptoms. There's good evidence for that mm. and your health in terms of uh, bone health, etc. cetera. Uh, but also my experience is that, um, you know, HRT, hormone replacement therapy for menopausal mm. women, there are four, Fortunately, there aren't many women in whom it's contraindicated. Sadly, there are some women that do get breast cancer. And so, you know, uh, if it's estrogen receptor positive, then I'm afraid HRT is off. But 
Thankfully, that's not many, but for most women, there, there is not a contraindication. And so I'm uh, more and more, well, I always was, but, you know, explaining this to um, the master's athletes and saying, look, at the very least, try and see, you know, the HRT. It's not the elixir of youth, sadly. There isn't any. But So you won't suddenly feel like 21 again, but you will feel better than you were back to what you would like to feel for you, whatever your age is, 51, say. Um, and, uh, you know, also to say that um, to be patient, that, you know, I say, go away, try this for three months and then come back. We might have to just slightly adjust the doses so you get the most. So definitely, I would say um, for Martha Safley, HRT is helpful. Um, sadly, for women, um, testosterone is not allowed, even if it's as a replacement, because it's banned by WADA. That's okay. a whole discussion for another day, whether that is... <laughs> there i'm not sure it's because it's not for performance it's for quality of life but anyway we leave that there so that was my fine that was my thing about the women but do you want shall we say something about men then? well yeah i guess that leads on into the men um quite nicely talking and bringing up the testosterone because i think obviously with women there's if people are in a low energy availability state there is that clear indicator of yep, yep. periods going a bit awry whereas it isn't necessarily as obvious with men and one of the things that for me was the big standout um, um, conversation point I should say with the the paper that you had about that with the male athletes with the three steps was the impact on uh, libido and sex drive and morning erections and how that as a as a sub as a marker of low energy availability and it's been fascinating talking about that um, with some of my male cyclists and they've been like, and then being able to then reflect on previous points in their life where they've been training really hard, haven't been feeling well, and they're just really low in energy and really low on libido. And, so, and they've been like, oh, that's that's why. Mm, exactly. So that it's the sort of equivalent of having periods in a woman, right? Because we make yeah. estrogen and, test- and um, uh, progesterone. We do make some testosterone. But the men, of course, you know, it's the other way around. They make way more. They do, by the way, have estrogen, um, but mm. they're much more testosterone. And so the equivalent of periods in a woman is what's the uh, function of the testosterone. And there's the, the should be, it should peak in the morning, hence early mm. morning erections, right? And mm. so that is actually a very, I mean, listen, we ask women about periods. So, um, I mean, I'm a doctor, so I guess it's okay. I just ask them straight up. I don't make it. It's like, listen, just to get an idea, you explain. And in the questionnaires I make, of course, you can't just asking that straight up as the first opening question probably is a little bit confronting, (laughs) right? But hold on away. I'm in the right place anyway. But, but, you know, explaining why to get an idea of how clinically effective or or whatever your level of testosterone is, I need to know, or can you tell me just give me a score, you know, um, out of seven, how many morning erections, right? And exactly, Mm -hmm. that's a very simple, straightforward thing to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. because not everyone will have access to testing. I mean, obviously, it's lovely if you have the blood test and we can have a look, see where exactly the testosterone level is. But actually, just asking that simple question, um, Mm -hmm. as you would do to a woman, uh, to have you got periods, you just ask them that, and that's the equivalent. And actually, and then we get an idea. And like you say, then it then they realize they reflect on it it's like oh that actually that's a good point and then all makes sense uh, and all ties um ties in and again 
you know, the evidence, <laughs> the physical evidence that actually, you know, you're, you haven't got that right balance of the training and nutrition. Yeah. And I, like, I think one of the things in my own research has been very much what is the driver for people's choices or decisions to do things and what motivates or encourages people to make change and what's important to them and the priorities and um, and recognising that why having the energy, it's not just for performance. It's not just to say you've got strong bones 20 years down in the track. It's like it's affecting so many things mm, here yeah, and now yeah, in your everyday exactly. life. Um, but the one thing about the men, so, yeah, that can definitely be an indicator. Um, but, uh, you know, then, you, the, you know, some athletes will say, okay, well, fine, can I have testosterone placement? And just to reiterate, no, you can't, I'm afraid. Or Wanda says no. Um, even because if it's low because you've got this imbalance in your training and your nutrition, that's a functional issue. So you won't get um, a TUE right for yeah. testosterone and you, well yeah you could end up in serious trouble and banned basically so um you have to address that and also then i have some masters athletes saying oh well you're recommending hrt to women how <laughs> about some testosterone for yeah. if i'm over 50 it's like <laughs> listen guys <laughs> very I, different stories here <laughs> listen guys you know with all due respect yes your testosterone goes down a little bit the normal range for under 50 something like um eight to 30 let's say nanomol per liter roughly let's have that as a figure in our minds over 50 it just goes down a little bit from six now to about 28 nanomol per liter so yeah there's a little difference but not like massive but whereas women um you know the peak of the progest of the estrogen during the menstrual cycle let's say is a thousand picomoles per liter okay mm. after menopause you'll be lucky if it's a hundred a hundred picomoles mm. per liter there's a big drop Huge change so yeah. so that's why guys sorry it's not that you know i'm being unsympathetic but that is the science behind it but the good news is you can still maintain or you know make the most of your testosterone by doing guess what the strength training we talked about earlier there are other lifestyle or training factors and the the nutrition like we discussed so yeah. um there we go that's it's like that. the nutrition like low carbohydrate low energy diets like very rapidly will drop it and cut it and make it yeah go exactly down. so the again it just comes down to the, the the fueling around the training and the whole it all matters the, the whole picture sort of exactly yeah there we go so your book comes out so your book comes out this month i mean october and yeah. what's the so who is aimed, is aimed for everybody like who who is who's it aimed for and what what's the the key messages coming in your in your book why should everyone go buy it quite okay so um women's health and human potential yeah. um it is for everybody although i have to admit that it is more for athletes or exercises but I think it's nice as way of contrast that you know we have on the one hand like we said metabolic syndrome obesity crisis uh, with effectively too little too little exercise too much nutrition maybe for requirement and then we have the athletes with res at the, at the end of the scale so it is for anybody although I suppose the people that maybe will get the most out of it are people that are exercisers not athletes but exercises whatever level um and the book um because i mentioned i like dance and ballet um the book is in two acts mm. act one is sort of explaining what hormones are 
it will touch on the effects of your choices around nutrition, uh, training and sleep. So it will sort of give you the theory, I suppose we could call that. And there's a mm -hmm. big old chunk about red. So, uh, you know, everyone you can get there with all the references and diagrams and everything. And then um, act two is going doing the seven, seven ages of an of man, woman, athlete. So I will go through from baby all the way through to dotage, as Shakespeare calls it. Mm -hmm. um, on the backdrop of these hormones are changing. So now mm -hmm. what do you need to be aware of, what you need to do to change? So, um, and each, um, especially in the second act, um, well, in fact, all of them, at the bottom, there are sort of, there's a sort of a summary of top tips. So what, what's take, take home points or whatever one calls them, you know? And also yeah. there will be interspersed, I'm calling them hormone stories. Okay, just to be yeah. clear, just to be clear, they are not specific yeah. people right mm -hmm. but I have given them names because just names I picked out of the air as it were because I think people relate to that so in case people are saying oh my goodness she's publishing patient no, I'm absolutely not uh, <laughs> just to make that clear um yeah. and you know they are they are true stories but in the sense that sometimes I've sort of put bits you know what I mean so yeah. it's not literally oh this is deaf this is a person called Ben someone out there there won't be yeah. all right Okay, yeah, it might just, be like you've seen this from like two or yeah, three yeah. people in a similar so, situation. Exactly in the name. So just yeah. to make that clear, but it is nevertheless, it gives you a flavor of okay, this person is coming along saying whatever. Um, yeah. and now that's sort of a teaser at the beginning. And then uh at the end, it's like, okay, now you've read the the you know, the, the scene, the chapter. Yeah. Now here is what's going on and, and what's what recommendations um, I gave the person, he or she or whatever, and what happened next. So it will give you, um, so yeah, hopefully it will give lots of useful information and it, there are references, okay, mm -hmm. at the end of the book. It's definitely not a PhD, by the way, um, yeah. but it, and it, so it's not a textbook, don't be scared. But it is nevertheless, people, I, you know, um, want to respect them and give them the evidence and so you can if you want to go and look at the references mm. and and it's it's based you know um but it's got the extra feel um uh, about the top tips and about the hormone stories so i hope that literally anybody will get something from this book um whatever level of exercise you are and whatever age you are so even if you're looking at it you're looking at this book and you're a parent and you you're really interested about your child uh, and you mm. want to know what's what's going on there or mm. if you are a master's athlete and you're you know what I mean or if you're a coach yeah. or whatever so hopefully it will fit all that so yes um it's out on uh when I was discussing with my publisher right what date to publish it's like can we make it my birthday then it's a date I will remember so it's the 28th yeah. of October you can order pre-order it now and yeah. you can get a 20 percent discount on my publisher's website uh Sakoa Books um if you enter the code very secret code Nikki N-I-C-K-Y. Yeah, easy. If you're like so, that's, yeah. so that's about the book. It will also be on Amazon. Um, if uh if you're in the UK, um, or if indeed if you want to travel to the UK, maybe from Australia they're pushing it a bit, but if you want to come to the UK, I'm doing some free discussion events around the themes mm. in the book. Um, those are starting off in Cambridge on mm. um, maybe you can put these in the show notes, but I'll just quickly yeah. say it now. Uh, Sunday, the 6th of November at 2 p.m. I'm in St. John's College, Cambridge, uh, where I did my training many years ago. So I feel I want to go back there. Um, <laughs> so we're having a discussion there. So please come. Um, also at UCL, University College London, on yep. Wednesday, the 
9th of, of November at 5 p.m. Uh, again, another discussion event. Um, and then finally at Rafa, the cycling clubhouse in London, Piccadilly on the 21st of November at 7 p.m. And, um, you know, it'll be talking around the themes in the book. So I guess one could say it's a book launch, but it's more to explain the themes and yeah. also I'll have guests to come and help me. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got Chrissy Wellington coming to the Rafa one, for example. Yeah, you see um, I've got Renee McGregor who's coming to the UCL one and then uh, Cambridge. Um, I've got the British Masters Road Champion, aka my husband, um, <laughs> um, and some other, um, you know, athletes. So, so you know, they're sort of similar events, but with a slightly different um, guest list, as it were. Um, but the main thing is, I'm saying discussion events. So please yeah. come. Oh, that's um, it. it's, it's getting uh, that discussion and getting, it's the getting the, out there. and come and bring your questions, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I will. Yes, I will do a sort of um, discussion with my guests and the panelists about the themes in the book. But then really it's for the people, the audience to come uh, and, and listen and, and your questions. So I'd really um, encourage people to come. Plus, it's free. So there you go. <laughs> what more could you ask for? <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. All right. Well, before we wrap up, Jed, any final words of wisdom? Um, well, actually, the quote that I opened my book with, which is sort of uh, the whole thing about, um, did you know that 2000 years ago, Hippocrates, good chap, he said he would have made an excellent coach because he mm -hmm. said the surest way to health is if we could give each individual just the right amount of nourishment and exercise. He was talking about personalized medicine. He was talking about uh, periodized a nutrition and training was he not he yeah. was onto something that that guy but he didn't know why he he said this yeah. but because he had observed it but he didn't know why or, or how but now we do the answer is hormones which is hence uh i explained why hypocrisy was <laughs> was right effectively amazing well, I can't wait to read it and um, congratulations on getting it um, out finished and out there. And thank you again. Well, congratulations for on today. your, listen, first of all, congratulations on your PhD. And oh, thank you. I think you will also write an excellent book in the future. But thanks so much, Gemma, for having me back and discussing it. It's been a pleasure. We could talk all day and discuss We could talk for hours. So, yeah, we'll, so there'll be, there'll be more of these, I'm sure. So, yeah, no, it would be lovely. Um, excellent. Oh, thank you very much. I hope you have a great day and I will speak to you soon. Okay, thanks, Gemma. Bye. Bye.